You're listening to audio from Crossroads Community Church, located in Fogelsville, Pennsylvania. If you want to learn more about C3 and what it is about, you can visit us at c3lehigh.com. And now, for today's sermon. So hey, if you would turn with me this morning to Romans chapter 8, that's where we're going to be spending a majority of our time, is Romans chapter 8. And I, I, again, I just feel like when you go through the book of Romans, that you can't help but highlight every chapter. Has anybody ever been there where there's just some chapters that, I mean, they just hit hard, right? And so when it comes to Paul in this teaching, the chapters preceding chapter 8, he's really going through a lot of dark stuff. Chapters 1 through 3, he deals with a lot of, of humanity's sinful condition. And he's going through, but things really start to take a turn in chapter 8, where I feel like Paul just has one of those moments where, have you ever got caught up in just bragging on God? I'll wait. Have you ever just got caught up bragging on God? Like you start thinking about what he's done in your life and, and through your life, and, and then there's like a Holy Spirit inspiration moment where you think of another story or another time, and, and all of a sudden you're just caught up bragging about all that God has done for you. And I almost feel like when you read chapter um, 8 in Romans, I almost feel like that's an experience that Paul is having, that where he's just kind of like writing, inspired by the Holy Spirit, absolutely. But it's almost like the Holy Spirit keeps like saying like, oh, and don't forget to add this, and don't forget to remind them of this. And ultimately what we end up with is we end up with um, chapter 8 really talking about living life in the Holy Spirit. That's Paul's point in chapter 8, which we're going to get to in just a moment. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to enter into what's called a Spartan race. Is anybody familiar with Spartan races? Yeah? Okay, a couple. So Spartan race is pretty much of the devil. Um, anything with physical fitness. Spartan race is a seven-mile, 30-plus obstacle course run through some of the most rugged terrain that you can find in Pennsylvania, and all of the obstacles are designed by military special operations groups. And so this is an incredibly challenging race. You can go ahead and show the picture, because I am awfully proud of that, because there was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that went into that. Some of the obstacles consisted of going to the bottom of a hill with a bucket that they load up with over 50 pounds of rock and carrying it to the top of the mountain only to put that bucket down and be handed a 50-pound sandbag that you then have to carry downhill. And if you've ever carried something really heavy downhill, you know the burn that happens in your legs. Your legs are just absolutely fried. And you want to know the sick thing? We paid to do this. So you go through all of these different military-style obstacles. They had everything from the most disgusting mud pits you could find that you had to crawl through or came up to your chin. And then you go through this mud pit, and you had to dive under an obstacle. So you have to get fully submersed in this horrible, nasty mud where I'm pretty sure I might have swallowed a frog going through. And there's other obstacles such as one of my favorites. It's a 100-yard um, military-style climb underneath barbed wire uphill while they spray um, water hoses on you. And you get to the top of that obstacle to only have to turn around and come back down the hill. And what's difficult about this is you're holding your weight back from going down on rock while they spray you with more water. Isn't that just demonic? 
So you go through all of these obstacles, you're challenged physically, mentally. And so there was a team that did this. Um, we, we got together and we did this, which by the way, I'm going to start a C3 group for next year for those of you who are interested because it takes place at Blue Mountain Retreat for those of you who are gluttons for pain. Yeah, one person. Woo! But Spired Race was extremely challenging. And there came that moment where we are going through this race and it's an inevitable moment that starts with this thought. We were absolutely exhausted. We had cuts all over us, bloodied up. And by the way, one of the penalties for not completing the obstacles is you have to bust out 20 burpees per failure. For, does anybody, you guys know what burpees are? Burpees is whenever you throw yourself on the ground in the push-up position, launch yourself up. Once you're on your feet, you do a jump, and that's one. Right? So you go through the day, and on, in the midst of being bloodied and tired and exhausted, having to pay a penalty like that, it just pushes you over the edge. And there comes that point, back to what I was saying, there comes that point where you're so exhausted, everything hurts, and you have that thought, can I continue? Am I going to be able to cross the finish line? So that thought of, I knew it was going to be tough, but I didn't realize it was going to be that tough. Have you ever had that thought? Even if it's with a small project like building, I don't know, demonic Ikea furniture, where it looks simple in the instructions, the picture looks great, but then you start doing it and you're like, I'm in over my head. And it was kind of like that with this Spartan race where there came a point where we were like, we knew it would be difficult, but we didn't realize that it would be this challenging. And I feel like there's a lot of similarities between a Spartan race and just doing life. Life is kind of like getting through a Spartan race, where there's these different obstacles that come up. Have you ever dealt with one of those? God, I didn't plan for this. I did not see this coming, but there's a life event that takes place, and it's like a hurdle that you have to get over, and it's challenging. And then there's that moment, just like you have with difficulties and trials, where you see it from afar and you're like, yeah, I got that. I can do that. It's kind of like that when you're young, you know, you're, you're in your early 20s or you're in your teen years and you're looking at all the adults doing life and you're like, I got that. I can do that. But then you grow up and then you start facing life and then you start getting hit with the challenges and soon you have that thought of, I did not realize it was going to be this difficult. So Paul is talking to the church that's in the midst of a sinful culture. They're battling day in, day out. Over the past couple of weeks, we've talked about how corrupt and how literally demonic Roman culture was. And Paul starts to encourage the church. He starts to challenge them and says, listen, there's a gift that you've been given that's going to help you in the challenges. There's an empowerment that you have that you've been given that you can utilize. There's information that you have that you need to make it through the obstacles. For example, a guy who was on our team, he had done Spartan races for so many years that he did one that was over 30 miles long with more than 70 obstacles. Because he's insane, I don't know. And so he had information, though, that helped us different legal cheats. For example, whenever we had to swim across a lake, he said, take your camel back and blow air into it, and that's your flotation device, and you can just calmly go through the water. Okay? We got to the barbed wire section, and he said, what I want you to do with your backpack, he said, I want you to launch it as far as you can and then crawl to it. Don't have it on your back or it's going to get caught up on the barbed wire. 
It's good information to know. He said, keep packets of mustard in your, in your backpacks. And I'm like, is there a hot dog stand along the way? And he's like, the mustard is going to help you with muscle cramps whenever you start cramping up. He had information that helped us. And Paul is saying there's a person, the third person of the Trinity, that has information that you need for life's obstacles. It's having those pointers that give you an advantage whenever you're hit with a difficult situation. Paul is saying, listen, there's a person that can help you in the midst of this. Romans chapter 8, Paul is talking about living life in the Holy Spirit. Living life in the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. If you don't have the Word of God with you this morning, it's okay. It'll be on the screens. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering, and so that He condemned sin in the flesh. Let me hit the pause button real quick. What Paul is talking about when you hear these different phrases, the law, the law, the law, the law of the Spirit, but now you have this, what is he talking about? What he's referring to is the Old Testament law, the Ten Commandments that the Israelites, as you read throughout Exodus, they couldn't keep. Have you ever gone through an Old Testament study and you're like, what is with these people? And then you realize, I'm these people. And so what Paul is referring to is he's saying there's this law that You couldn't uphold according to your flesh because it wasn't natural. How many of you know that it's not natural to live a righteous life? Our sinful flesh wants to go against righteousness. Can I get a witness this morning? And so Paul steps in here and he says, you know that law that you couldn't keep in the Old Testament that felt like it was crushing you? He said, this person is going to help you uphold that law. This person is actually going to empower you in such a way that you can not only not be crushed by the law, but you can actually uphold the law. And furthermore, what Paul is alluding to is he's saying Jesus has already paid your penalty for your failure in breaking the law. It's a beautiful verse, isn't it, church? Verse 4, and in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the uh, flesh wants. Again, hit the pause button. For those who might be new to church, you're like, what is the flesh? What does that have to do with anything? The flesh is another term for our sinful nature. Continuing. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Somebody give me an amen this morning. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile towards God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Hit the pause button again. 
Paul is talking about two different things here. In other places in Romans, you're going to hear uh, a different terminology about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but then there's a different occurrence called the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. When you and I are saved, when we accept Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit takes residency in our lives. It does not mean that we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. We see that as a separate event that takes place in Acts chapter 2 for the New Testament church. And how many of you know we're a New Testament church? Amen? So we're going to talk about baptism of the Holy Spirit in other sermon series, but for now what Paul is talking about is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, meaning you received Christ and now you have this third person of the Trinity residing in you. Again, I want to jump back to verse 9. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God is in you, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even through your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the Spirit who lives in you. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that we're not reading from a history book, but we're reading from the living Word of God that still, that still penetrates the hardest of hearts, that still gets in us and transforms our lives and molds us and shapes us. We thank you for the Word of God. Now this morning, Lord, again, I pray that our hearts would be teachable, moldable, because we recognize this morning you don't just desire to speak to us for no reason, but when you speak, we cannot help but be changed. So Father, help us to walk in obedience. Help us to turn our ears and attention towards you so that we can leave here changed people closer to you in our relationship. We ask in Jesus' name, and everybody said? Amen. You and I have a sinful nature. You and I are born into a, a faulty way of, of thinking. You and I are born into a world full of pain and struggle, and you and I are born into a nature where even our perspective is fallen. It's a thinking that leads us into brokenness. Again, how many of you have ever been down that path where you and I thought it was a good idea and then it didn't turn out so well? Paul here teaches us that the Holy Spirit is given so that you and I can live a life that is redeemed thinking, better thinking, better living, holy living. It's kind of like this. How many of you are familiar with the story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde by show of hands? Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Mr. Hyde. Dr. Jekyll is a scientist. He's smart. He's collective. He's under control. And all around, he's a benefit to life and those around him. But he takes this potion that turns him into an out-of-control beast that destroys others and destroys his own life. You could look at, at, at the beast of Mr. Hyde as who you and I are without Jesus. Out of control, unbridled, we don't think correctly. We're not only a danger to ourselves, but a danger to others. But then Jesus comes into our hearts, and the work of the Holy Spirit begins in our lives, and that is the antidote that brings us under control. The Holy Spirit helps us with daily burdens that would otherwise crush us. The Holy Spirit takes those burdens the feet of Jesus. The Holy Spirit gives us the strength to resist sinful living. The Holy Spirit empowers us in such a way that he transitions us from religion, just going through the motions, to relationship where it is an alive, it is an alive relationship that you and I can feel 
that you and I can sense his presence, that you and I often when we, our response to sensing the presence of God is sometimes we get a little bit choked up. There's a part in our hearts that begins to get soft. The Holy Spirit does those things. The Holy Spirit gives us self-control. You and I are therefore, because of the work of the Holy Spirit, you and I are able to remember Scripture at the right time, at the right place, and apply it appropriately. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. But when we don't seek the work of the Holy Spirit, when we aren't giving Him our burdens, when we aren't seeking His empowerment, when we're just careless and thinking that the Holy Spirit really doesn't matter, you and I get crushed. We stop running the race and we start allowing those thoughts of, can I do this? I can't do this. I'm not going to make it. We allow those thoughts to determine the course of our life. It's kind of like setting Mr. Hyde free. We begin to believe the lies of Satan and we start putting our burdens on others rather than taking them to Jesus. You know, that's a symptom when you and I start going to others and we start offloading all of our emotional baggage rather than taking it to Jesus. That's a symptom that we're not meeting with the Lord. Now, hear me out. I understand that there are so many scriptural references that we could reference right now that talk about godly counsel, and I'm all about that. But how many of you know there's a difference between going to man for wisdom and relying on man as if he was the Holy Spirit? Come on, somebody. There's a difference there. So when you and I aren't going to the Holy Spirit, we start targeting others. Have, have you ever put somebody in your crosshairs that had nothing to do with a problem that was in a different area of your life? No, just me? Come on, somebody. Where it's just one of those bad days, and that person, whoever it may be, they just happened to be in front of you, which was the prerequisite. And all of a sudden... You might have said some foolish things, but the point is, is you reacted in an ungodly way. Often that's a symptom of not living life in the Holy Spirit. Then to make matters worse, there's those who begin to self-medicate. Rather than trying to get through the obstacles... They start turning to substances, whatever it may be. In the Christian community, we often refer to this as backsliding. For some, they turn back to the bottle in order to escape the challenges of life. For some, they turn back to the pornography. For some, they turn to marijuana to numb their pain. And it's why we as a society keep legalizing everything. Because rather than going to God, we want to go to a substance. Rather than admitting that we have problems, we just want to numb ourselves until it all goes away. And all of this is a result of you and I not going to God, not, not being empowered by the Holy Spirit, not living according to the Spirit. This is the result of living life without God and without the Holy Spirit empowerment. And Paul says, you know what? There is a problem and it's us. Can I hear an amen this morning? And he says there is a solution, and his name is Jesus. And there isn't an empowerment, and his name is the Holy Spirit. 
And the entire chapter of Romans 8, Paul continues to discuss what an incredible gift the Holy Spirit is and why he's a great gift from God and how the Holy Spirit helps us in life. And another one of Paul's points in this chapter is he says this, he said, God no longer dwells in a temple in a physical place. God dwells in you. You're the temple. You're the place where his spirit resides. Romans chapter 8, verse 9, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. In order to appreciate this verse, you have to understand what they went through in the Old Testament in order to experience any part of God's being. In the Old Testament, we have the tabernacle. It was the place where the presence of God resided and where it it didn't just reside in this building. It resided in the innermost part of this building called the Holy of Holies. In the Old Testament, the people of God could not experience his presence. It was specifically for an elect priest. There was a place among them where God's presence could be found called the tabernacle, but it could not be experienced by everyone. The word tabernacle, the translation in the Hebrew word mishkin means dwelling place. Again, there's that word. There's a parallel that we're hearing here where Paul says he now dwells in you, no longer the tabernacle, no longer this physical place. The room known as the Holy of Holies was the innermost and most sacred area of the ancient tabernacle and temple. It contained the Ark of the Covenant, which was a symbol of Israel's special relationship with God. The Holy of Holies was accessible only to the Israelite high priest, and it was only accessible once a year. So that the Israelite community could make an atonement for their sins. Therefore, my point this morning, church, is there existed a barrier between God and between man. And the Holy of Holies was separated from the rest of the tabernacle and temple by a veil, a huge heavy drape made from fine linen of of blue and purple and scarlet and embroidered with gold cherubim. Before the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies on the day of atonement, he had to wash himself, put on special clothing, bring burning incense, and let the smoke cover his eyes because he couldn't see the face of God. As a matter of fact, the priests often had bells at the bottom of their garments and they had a rope tied to them so that if they went in there with any sin or iniquity that wasn't taken care of, they would hear the bell stop moving from outside and they would retrieve the body because God is that holy. And what Paul is saying is you no longer have to go to that place. You no longer have to worry about dropping dead because Jesus has paid the, the penalty. What Paul is saying is his spirit, his presence now resides in us. Come on, somebody. You and I can have fellowship with him. We don't just have to come to him to make atonements for our sin. Do you hear the difference there? They could only go once a year. You and I as a worship team member pointed out this morning can have fellowship and communion in his presence while we make our morning coffee. If you're going to give God praise, do it with everything you have. Come on. Talk about having free access to God Almighty. Something that the Old Testament people could only dream of. Something that Moses actually prophesied about. And whether it was intentional or unintentional, I don't know. But in Exodus, he says, someday you will all be the priest. Today is that day. You and I have the presence of God in us. 
When Jesus died, an amazing thing happened. The veil that divided man from God was torn. Amen? Taking the Holy of Holies and moving its location from external to internal. God's presence goes from external to internal. His presence is now in us. His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is now in you. And the testimonies that come out of this reality, I could go on all day. Is it okay if I brag about the Holy Spirit a little bit this morning? It was rhetorical, but you're kind. There are some Sundays when the worship team begins to play, and I wish that I could take the congregation and put them back here so that you could see some things that are happening. And what often happens is there's different points in worship where nobody is playing music, but yet we're all playing the same notes. And there's these moments where I'm sitting there thinking to myself, man, it would be really cool if we could go back to this course or this bridge or this verse, whatever it may be. And all of a sudden, a vocalist starts leading the way as if I was talking to them. How does that happen? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit just leads the team. There are some Sundays when I've heard people say, I came here and I didn't understand what happened during worship. And I asked them, what do you mean by that? And they said, during worship, you know, I just begin to cry. And I don't cry. Why does that happen? It's the Holy Spirit. And I don't mean to equivocate spiritual maturity with an emotional response. That's not what we're going for. But we also have to acknowledge that God gave us emotions for a reason. And it's okay to feel things. It's okay to sense things. And often the result of being in his Holy Spirit presence and his presence is that our hearts become softened. Have you ever experienced this? Where you just feel callous from the world and all of a sudden you're getting choked up. And can I say to the men specifically, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay to have a soft heart towards God. Cracks me up whenever these guys try and act tough. Look, I don't feel nothing. Okay. God often softens our heart. And isn't it crazy? I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but there's been those points in my life where I haven't realized how callous and hard my heart has become until I'm in his presence. And then all of a sudden I realize because I start to feel a compassion that did not exist before that encounter. How do I explain that? Science isn't going to explain it. There's no mathematical equation that I can give you that's going to explain it. The only way I know how to explain it is it's the Holy Spirit. It's what He does. There's some services. Can I go on? There's some services where we believe that the gifts of the Spirit are for the church of today and if you've attended here for a while, you know the rhythm is typically somebody comes up to me and says, hey, I feel like the Lord put a word, something that I need to speak um, on my heart that isn't just for me, it's for the congregation. And, and we, nine out of 10 times, it fits, per, hey, come on up. And, and they're able to give this word and they speak to the congregation. They say, this is what I feel like the Lord is telling us as a church to do. And it always, always, always aligns perfectly with the sermon for that day. And we didn't call each other. We didn't organize that. It's just the way that the Holy Spirit works. There's a testimony represented here at C3 of a mom who 
went to a public park in Lehigh Valley, and she was at this park and started to speak to another mom, and ultimately they're talking about life, and she brings up uh, a church, and she says, oh, what church do you go to? She said, you should, you should come to my church. It's Crossroads Community Church over in Fogelsville, and the mom gets choked up and says, you're the third person to invite me to that church. Out of all the parks... Out of all the people, out of all the churches, that's not coincidence. It's just somebody who feels the Holy Spirit saying, I want you to go talk to that person. And please understand that you don't always have to have a plan. You don't always have to have a three-point sermon. Well, pastor, I stood there and I said, I I should start with the book of Revelation with them. And then that was too dark. So we're going to go to Acts 2. But then what about John 3.16? Just calm down. Just talk, and then let the Holy Spirit put the pieces together. I could go on, and I look forward to tonight's worship service where we can open this up a little bit more because there's more testimonies represented here. It's more than coincidence. It's mathematically impossible to be coincidence. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen, church? And the list goes on and on, and we're, we're left with the question, how do these things happen? How is it that all of a sudden, often we have those moments where we know the words that we should speak to somebody in a difficult situation, and it's far above our intellect? How do we explain that? It's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's what was promised to us. He was promised to us by Jesus. He was promised to us by the Apostle Paul. And Paul in Romans chapter 8, he's bragging, saying, you have this gift. You have the work of the Holy Spirit. It's going to help you with the obstacles that you face. It's going to help you in the race. It's going to help you. He is going to help you. I don't mean to say it because he's a person. He's going to help you win the race. Romans chapter 8, verse 9, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. If you are a believer of Jesus Christ, and you've invited Him into your heart, into your life, you have the Holy Spirit. My point in this, we must never take for granted His internal presence. We must never take for granted his internal, the fact that the Spirit of God resides in each and every one of us. Paul continues throughout the chapter to describe how the Holy Spirit helps us in life. And Paul gives us this list of all that the Holy Spirit does in and through you and I. First, the Holy Spirit directs and testifies to us. Romans chapter 8, verses 14. Once you and I are saved, the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residency in our hearts and begins to lead us in a specific direction. What is that specific direction? God's direction. The Spirit begins to set a new direction in our our lives and helps us think in a new, more, uh, better way. This new direction helps us follow God's will and grow in our relationship with God. And this direction is far better than any direction that you and I could go on our own in life. Can I hear an amen? The Holy Spirit confirms and bears witness. Romans chapter 8 verse 16. See, you and I are used to conversation going this way. From me to him. But then Romans chapter 8 verse 16 completely flips this around and now the conversation is going from God to us. 
The Holy Spirit keeps communicating to us over and over again that we belong to God's family, that he, and he continues to confirm what is true, what is false. And where, where you and I are in life, the Holy Spirit speaks to us in that place and leads us to the next step. In all of this, how does this all bear witness? Because when you start experiencing this, God's existence becomes undeniable. Amen. Amen. When you start experiencing his Holy Spirit leading us and you start experiencing these divine appointments and understanding that there's no way that I could ever do this on my own, it confirms and bears witness because we understand God's here. God's leading. The Holy Spirit intercedes and groans for us. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27. Have you ever had those moments where you are just completely drained and tired, that you don't have the words to articulate how you're feeling. I've had moments where Kylie literally has walked in and goes, what's wrong? And I'm like, I can't even explain it right now. I just don't, I don't have the physical strength or the mental capacity in this moment to explain the situation or how I'm feeling. And she gets that. But there's those moments, and typically it's the ride home from work, Right? We're just exhausted, and maybe it's been the past couple weeks, maybe it's been the past couple months or even longer, where you've been facing obstacles, you've been facing challenges, whether it's in your marriage, in your home life, maybe it's work problems, whatever it may be, and there comes that moment where the only thing that you and I can say is this holy phrase, Scripture says that the Holy Spirit communicates to the Father in that moment. That He understands. That He understands in that moment what that sigh represents and all that you're going through, and all that you need, and all that he has for you, and all of that moment comes to this pivotal, pivotal moment where the Holy Spirit just goes to the Father and communicates for you and I. Intercedes and groans for us. The Holy Spirit empowers and anoints us for service. Romans chapter 8, verse 30. You know that God has a calling on your life. Did you know that, church? That God, if you call yourself a Christ follower, that God has called you into full-time ministry? I gotta be honest, I'm so frustrated and so tired with the church of today thinking that the word calling only applies to pastors. Drives me nuts. Calling is placed on all of our lives. God has called us all into full-time ministry. I could tell you story after story after story of those whose lives were changed because of that realization that set in that I am called. And God not only calls us, but he sends his Holy Spirit to empower us to fulfill the call. Why is that? Because God's way is often difficult. Have you ever figured that out? For those of you who didn't respond, you're in something called denial. We'll meet in a group at the, uh, in the parking lot after the service. God's way is challenging. 
we don't naturally drift towards righteousness in his way. Our sinful flesh tendency is to drift away. And until we're with him in heaven, cannot wait for that day. That's the reality, is that you and I are in this battle. Jesus speaks to Paul in this moment and says that the Holy Spirit is going to help you battle. The Holy Spirit is going to help you fulfill the call because it is challenging, but it's worth it. Amen, church? The Holy Spirit enables us to discern. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. On that topic of the calling that God has placed in your life, that also means that you'll have to know God's will for your life. If you recognize that He has a calling for your life, there's also a way in which you need to live and you need to go and the choices that you need to make that align with His will so that you know His way, but you also know His will so that you can fulfill His way. Come on, somebody. And He says, my Holy Spirit's going to help you. My Holy Spirit's going to not only help you discern, and this is just so beautiful, He says, my Holy Spirit's not just going to help you discern what is of God, but also help you discern what is not of God so that you and I don't get tripped up, so that you and I don't have this false, unrealistic view of who God is. He says, I'm going to have my Holy Spirit give you the ability, help you, empower you to discern what is of me and what is not of me. Have you ever been watching the uh, sinful news station (laughs) and notice something or hear something or a direction that our country is going in, whatever it may be, and something in your spirit says this is wrong. This is not the way that we should go. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit helping you and I discern what is of God and what is not of God. Worship team, would you come? And although Paul so beautifully explains the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And he doesn't even get to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, although he references those in verse 23. There's a common belief, even though Paul beautifully explains this in Romans chapter 8, and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, indwelling of the Holy Spirit, gifts of the Holy Spirit, are a self-evident theme throughout the entire New Testament, even though the New Testament church wasn't even birthed until the baptism in the Holy Spirit. In spite of all of this evidence, there are still Christians today who have this common belief that we do not need the Holy Spirit. I can attend church. Why do I need the Holy Spirit if I have Jesus? And there's this belief that we don't need the Holy Spirit. And friend, can I tell you, if that's you, you're dead wrong. And you're not experiencing all that God has for you. And for those who are here today and you say, I have Jesus, why do I need the Holy Spirit? Can I remind you? Jesus said, it's better that I leave because this gift of the Holy Spirit is so incredible. He said that. He said, it's so necessary that I'm going to go, but don't worry, I'm going to send you a helper. 
the Holy Spirit, and he's going to lead you, and he's going to guide you. My point is this. If Jesus saw the Holy Spirit is that important that you and I, he, he said, you need to go and wait for this gift. It's going to be incredible. If he saw the Holy Spirit is that incredible, that important, that he said, it's better that I physically leave and go to heaven and wait for you and prepare a place for you, but this Holy Spirit, if he said that, it's, he's that important, you and I should also view the Holy Spirit as that important. We should have that same drive. I need the Holy Spirit. I need to discover the gifts of the Spirit. You and I should have that hunger, that appetite. But let's be honest. You and I are afraid to go down that path often because we don't want to get weird. Pastor, if I'm one of those Holy Spirit people, I'm not going to have control. Scripture says spirit is subject to the prophet. It's not possession. He's just so good that you don't want to lead your own life. You want him to lead. And any gift from God is a good gift. And I also want to say this, in case there's those in the room where you've been to some other churches that have done unbiblical things in the name of the Holy Spirit. And I want to encourage you, the Holy Spirit doesn't hurt us. The Holy Spirit doesn't leave scars the Holy Spirit heals those wounds. And if you've been to a church that has abused the gifts of the Holy Spirit, I'm so sorry. But I want to challenge you. It's a new day. And allow the work of the Holy Spirit to bring healing to those experiences in your life so that he can show you what a good experience is. Scripture also says that any moves of the Holy Spirit, Paul's words, needs to be done decently and in order. So if you've been resisting the Holy Spirit because you're like, I don't want to be one of those weirdos. Same. <laughs> it's okay. Holy Spirit, he's a good helper. As a matter of fact, he's also called the comforter. And if you're here today and none of this has convinced you still to pursue the gift of the Holy Spirit, to pursue the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to open yourself up to whatever God has for you in regards to the Holy Spirit using you, speaking to you, here's some additional answers to the question, why do I need the Holy Spirit? Let us be reminded that the Spirit, Holy Spirit, helped the shepherd boy become a king. That the Holy Spirit took fishermen and made them fishers of men, therefore becoming the 12 disciples that would forever change the world as we know it. The Holy Spirit helped a murderer become a deliverer. And by the way, we read from a book that he wrote today. The Holy Spirit also shines in battle. Because of the Holy Spirit, Samson killed over a thousand with a jawbone. Shamgar killed over 600 with an ox goat. Gideon overcame odds of 450 to 1 when 300 defeated 135,000. Are you ready for this? With trumpets, clay pots, and lamps. Holy Spirit. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but there's a lot of battles going out there, and our world is in dire need of some warriors. Spirit-filled warriors. Because of the extraordinary ability of the Holy Spirit, 
A man who had recently denied that he was with Jesus became so anointed and empowered by the baptism of the Holy Spirit that he began to preach. And when he preached, the anointing was so strong on him that over, over 3,000 of those who heard were saved and baptized. That's a good church service. So what is Paul's point in Romans chapter 8? Number one, the Holy Spirit is the key to living in victory. The Holy Spirit is the key to living in victory. And number two, and this isn't this crazy theological truth that's going to confuse you for a week that you have to process. It's just at face value, what we get from Scripture saying what it says. And that's this. Number two, we need the Holy Spirit. We need Him. It's undeniable. There's no challenges that the church is facing today that would cause me to look and say, we don't need that empowerment. There's no expiration date in Scripture. As a matter of fact, there's prophecy spoken that generations and generations to come will experience the gifts of the Spirit. Friend, can I challenge you to open up your thinking, open up your heart if this is a new teaching. Would you stand with me? And here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask the worship team to lead us in this song. It just says worthy. And can I challenge us, church? I feel like second service today has been the more quieter service. But I also sense that God really wants to do something here. And can I challenge you? We often get in the motions of doing church, don't we? Show up, worship, announcements, sermon, worship, go home, recline, take a nap. We get in the Sunday motion to the point to where we come at the end, we come to the end of a, of a service like this and our expectations are low, but can I challenge us today to end the service how we started out and that's hungry? Come on, somebody. Can I challenge us to end the service today with a heart that says, Holy Spirit, I welcome you. And I just want to give you a heads up that in the months to come, our church is changing directions and we're going to pursue the Holy Spirit like we never have before. And I believe today that the Holy Spirit is developing an appetite in us. And can I challenge you today, before we leave and have this appetizer, and the reason why I say an appetizer is because I believe the meal is going to happen tonight at the worship service. But can I challenge you? Get hungry. If you've been doing this whole Christian thing without the Holy Spirit, you're missing out. If you've been bored with Christianity, you're missing out. You're not doing it right. If you're bored with Christianity, you're not doing it right. And the Holy Spirit will lead us in the right way. But first, can we just worship him and invite him into this place? Come on, church, would you bow your heads? And I'm going to ask if you're new with us and you see people lifting their hands and you're like, what's that all about? 
It's an outward expression of an inward experience. Outwardly, we're simply saying, here I am, God, because that's our heart's response. So if you're comfortable, would you just lift your hands up high? Like no shame, no judgment, no condemnation. We just read that in Romans chapter eight today. And so it is for the body of Christ. And can I challenge you? Would you just begin to invite him into your heart? Just begin to invite him into this place. Say, Holy Spirit, I welcome you here. Whatever kind of week you've had, if you've had a bad, tiring week, would you just, I want you to picture putting that in your hands and just giving it to God and say, come Holy Spirit, would you empower, lead me, guide me, whatever it is, just begin to give it over to God and invite him into your life. And I'm telling you, you will sense his presence. And I also want to encourage you, the altar is open this morning. The reason why we as a church come to the altar is because again, there's a symbolism here. The altar represents a place of sacrifice and all we're doing is outwardly expressing what's happening inwardly. And inwardly, we're saying, Jesus, I want to be a living sacrifice for you. I want to be your vessel, your hands, your feet. I want to go to the broken, Lord. I want to, I want you to move through and in my life, and I give myself over to you. That's why we come to the altar, because it simply symbolizes consecration. It simply symbolizes I am not my own, but it is Christ in me. Church, I think it's time that we get a little bit hungry and that we pursue the Holy Spirit. This has been an audio recording from Crossroads Community Church. If you'd like to get in contact with us or learn more about us, you can follow us on social media at C3Lehigh or email us at info at C3Lehigh.com. We'd love to hear from you.